Hey, welcome back to A View from the Couch. My name is Rich. And I'm Jen. And today we are talking about Guillermo del Toro's Netflix movie. Is this a Netflix movie? No, this was released in theaters. It was released in theaters. Okay. I take it back. This is not a Netflix movie. <laughs> but we're talking about Nightmare Alley, which is is a new adaptation of the source material that was used to create the 1947 film. It, yes. Yep. Not technically a remake, but still a remake. It's just like the whole John Carpenter's The Thing isn't based on Howard Hawks' The Thing. It's based on the novel on which the Howard Hawks' The Thing was made or based off of. It doesn't matter. It's still a remake. You can fancy it up any way you want. It's still a remake. Yeah, they're still doing it again. Yeah. It's the it's it's like the people that want to call comic books graphic novels, guys. It's still a comic book. You can it's okay. It's all right. <laughs> all right. So you mentioned this was based off a book. The book was written by William Lindsay Gresham, and I think it was done back in the forties. Would have had to have been because the original version of this was 1947 as far as yeah, film Yeah, for some reason, 42 sticking in my head. I think I read that somewhere. But mm. uh, anyways, I think it's in the 40s. But this movie here was written by Guillermo del Toro mm-hmm. and Kim Morgan. And it was directed by Guillermo del Toro. We have an all-star cast here with this movie. We've got Bradley Cooper playing Stanton Carlisle. Kate Blanchett is Dr. Lilith Ritter. Tony Collette playing Xena the Seer. Not the warrior princess. Not the warrior, no. Different different Xena. Willem Dafoe. Not William Dafoe? I think I finally got his name down. I mean, we're like... how many podcasts in? And I think I've... We, this has got to be the third movie we've... Third fourth or fourth? easily, yeah. Okay. Fourth easily. Okay, four times the charm for me. Willem Dafoe... <laughs> is Clem Holtley, Richard Jenkins as Ezra Grindle, Rooney Mara, or is it Mara? I believe it's Mara, but I think Mara will also work. All right. What who does she play? She plays Molly Cahill. We've got Ron Perlman as Bruno, Mary Steenburgen as Mrs. Campbell. Now that one I know is Mary Steenburgen. Steam Virgin. Okay. That makes sense. All right. And then David. Do it. Do it. Come on. David Straithern. 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 Yes. As Pete. Again, (laughs) terrible with names. Here we go. Nothing's changed. Half the comedy is is when (laughs) you try to say names. I mean. But that's, there's quite a few people in this and some, some big names in this movie too. Yeah. Yeah. There's a few, there's a few big names. There's a lot of. A lot of character actors in this film. A right. lot of people that you're going to recognize from other things and go, oh, oh, that's that guy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, basically, the plot revolves around Stan Carlyle, who is a drifter in the year 1939. He is running from... What we're eventually going to find out is the murder and and incineration of his father. We don't know this, of course, at the beginning of the movie. It's kind of the mystery. What was that that he who was that that he was burning at the beginning of the movie? Right. But he's kind of running from that. He ends up getting a job at a carnival. But first, before he takes the job, he goes and he watches a geek show where a guy eats a live chicken, and he tries to sneak out. But then he ends up getting conscripted by the uh, by the the carnies to help strike the uh, the carnival because there's rain coming and when he's getting ready to get paid they take the gate fee away f- out of his pay and, uh, and I thought that was a neat I thought that was a neat touch that, yeah. oh yeah well I saw you sneaking off so you know we're gonna take your gate fare out of there and then of course he ends up with regular work there he starts working with Madame Zena who is a a lady who. I guess owns a, a house like a regular like structure nearby the carnival because she's renting out a bathtub to people. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was weird because I thought circuses typically travel a lot, but this must be a more stationary circus. Maybe I don't know. It, I got the feeling that they were still mobile and moving around. 
Well, I think at first they were, and then it's uh, I to me it seemed like they moved to this where this other circus was at. Mm. Is I think what Willem Dafoe's character said is they were going to meet up with another circus somewhere okay. when they were taking the tents down and stuff. Okay. So I think that that's what happened. They met up with this other circus. Sure. We first get introduced to the circus. It's kind of interesting to see this as you're going through this. You get introduced to the look of this film here. And mm-hmm. I, that's one of the things I really like about this film is the way it looks. It has a very striking look to it. Yeah. Um, very sepia toned. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah, and apparently this was released in theaters in color and black and white. Yeah, I did hear that. I heard there was a black and white version of this, mm-hmm. which I thought, okay, well, I mean, that's it's kind of artsy-fartsy, right? Mm-hmm. It, I would go and see it in black and white. Sure. I mean, I like mm-hmm. going to see movies in black and white that are, you know, intended to be seen that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, is this, what's the official version? Is it the color version? Is that the official version? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would... F- I feel like the official version is color because Guillermo uses color as some of the symbolism mm-hmm. in this movie. And I feel yeah. like obviously you'd lose that if you're in the black and white. Yeah. I mean, there is going to be a lot of like, there's, well, for example, Molly is the only one who has any kind of like really bright color at any real given time, especially when it gets to, especially when we get to the point where they're hustling the upper crust people. Molly is the only person who has a bright red dress on. So if you if you remember through the whole film, I'm going to go ahead and talk about this. This yeah, is yeah. one of the interviews I watched that Guillermo gave. He says that Molly's the only one that's going to be wearing red like mm-hmm. that through the movie. And most of her outfits are either all red or have red accents on them. Yeah, very noticeable. But she represents life, so they chose the color red for that character. Makes sense. Tony Colette's character, Xena, mm-hmm. she wears green and gold to show her connection to the earth and grass, and okay. she's a grounded character. Mm-hmm. And then we've got Clem Holtley, which is Willem Dafoe's. He's wearing black leather a lot, so kind of like a hardness. He's a hard character. Mm-hmm. And so so we've got color for these different characters to kind of represent yeah. what they kind of... Actually, what they represent in the film, I suppose. But. Sure, yeah. No, I, I, I did like that. I, I appreciated that. I thought that the... For some reason, I thought the green... On Zena's in Zena's wardrobe represented envy, but you're saying it has to do with uh, that she's grounded. She's a grounded character, right? And that's what he said in this this okay. interview. But well, that's what he intended. And that's fine. It's interesting that you bring that up, though, because another thing happening in this is we'll see here shortly, or and probably talk about this. We see Stan. Is it Stanley? Stan. 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 Yeah, he goes by Stan. We see Stan go through that, what is that, like a maze house or something mm-hmm. when he, they're looking for the geek. And we see a room that has the seven deadly sins in there. Yes. So you bring that up that, that it could maybe be a dual thing and it could really mean what you want it to mean at that point. Well, but what the director said in the interview was, you know, that that she's a grounded character on here. So. Gotcha. I mean, it's it's art. It's open to interpretation. Mm-hmm. That's the thing is, you know, that's the interactivity of film is that, you know, and any piece of art really is that you take from it what you take from it. Mm-hmm. I thought of it as envy because, you know, Carlisle is envious of her abilities. She's envious of Molly because, she, you know, Molly has Carlisle's heart, you know, all these different types of wanting and lusting towards and for things. But mm-hmm. Anyway, so Zena and her husband Pete teach Stan how to quote unquote see. They have uh, they have a clairvoyant act where they use coded languaging, coded cold reading tricks, and stuff like that. Pete keeps all this in a book that he won't let anybody see. Because he says that, you know, if you use this for, what do they call it, a spook show? Is that what he says? If you use Mm -hmm. it for a spook show, then that's bad. Yeah, they use the terminology shut eye. Yeah. 
there you go. But it is also, they call it a spook show okay. also. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he tells Stan not to use this, this ability to speak to the dead. Which is interesting because Pete and Xena are not able to see anything. They're... Mm-hmm faking this whole thing. They're all con artists. It's all con artists, yes. But what is he what is he cautioning him against? You can't speak to the dead. He knows that he can't speak to the dead. No, but he's claiming with the sh- shut eye is when what they refer to themselves as these mentalists, right. when they place too much faith in their own ability and they start to believe their own lies. It brings about dangers and of exposure and can even result in madness. So it doesn't completely state this in the movie, but I feel like it's suggested that maybe that's why Pete has drinking problems, is that maybe he's taken it too far and falsely believed his own ability to, you know, speak to, you know, dead, the ghosts or whatever. Huh. Okay. Interesting. So but it does definitely take you down a dark path because as we'll see later in the movie, mm-hmm. it takes Stan down a very dark path too because he starts. Well, con- well, he's kind of believing, kind of conning. He like, he believes he's better than what he really is right down the road. So, right. And he's misusing that ability to con as well. Yeah. Can we go back? Just real quick to the House of Mirrors. Sure. Something else in one of the interviews that I saw that I thought was interesting was there is, you will see through this movie, a lot of eyes and a lot of circles. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. And so as you go through this, the director wanted to make sure the circles were there to so you could kind of visualize this full circle that Stan is actually going to make from when he gets introduced into this film to what happens at the very end. And so it's just the telling of the full circle of Stan. So there's definitely a lot of symbolism in the through this whole movie with that. So I just want to kind of, because we first start seeing it here, like when they walk up, there's the Ferris wheel with the circle. And then when they're in the House of Mirrors, he's walking through a tunnel and then he walks through these mouths and stuff. And Mm -hmm. he walks through the room with the seven deadly sins and then goes through Satan's mouth and through into purgatory. So it's just a lot of stuff happening in the beginning of this movie that kind of follows through into the story that's going to be told later. Well, yeah, I mean, even to the, even the point that Clem hiring troubled alcoholics to be his geeks, Mm -hmm. that's going to come back too. I mean, that like, I think everything that's planted early on in this film ends up coming back and it ends up, it ends up, like you said, circling back. So this is, yeah, I didn't notice the circles. I noticed the eyes. There were a lot of eyes in this Which movie. Which I'm assuming, I didn't see anything talked about, but I'm assuming that has to do with the clairvoyant stuff. Yeah, the third that eye. Doing. Yeah. yeah. Well, mm-hmm. there's the there's the baby in the in the formaldehyde that mm-hmm. has like that protrusion yeah. in its forehead that looks like a third eye. Right. Which is where your third eye allegedly, you know, is, <laughs> it's, right? Yeah, right in the middle of your forehead. Right. So, I mean, that, that's, it's all about, it has to do with this clairvoyance and what I think it felt like a lot of like how that can corrupt someone, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Again, going back to the shut eye yeah. thing. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Okay. So, you know, as, as time goes by, Stan becomes attracted to Molly, who is a performer. He wants her to leave the carnival with him, but she won't do it. Not at first anyway. Eventually, she's going to acquiesce, but it's going to take a little bit for her to get there. What's going to happen is Pete's going to, or Stan's going to give Pete alcohol because Pete was asking for it, and then then Pete's going to end up dead. And then a co- the cops are going to show up, and Stan is going to use his cold reading skills on the sheriff. Mm-hmm. And he's going to convince the sheriff not to close down the the carnival, thus saving everybody's jobs and livelihood. 
And it's at that point that Molly agrees to leave with Stan. And we also see that Stan has inherited Pete's book. So now he does have that secret to that 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 speaking to the dead stuff. The con man stuff. Yeah, the the deep dark con man shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So and then we skip a couple of years. Then we end up in Buffalo. Stan has kind of reinvented himself as a psychic act where he's conning the wealthy elite in Buffalo and Molly is helping him. Molly's basically playing the part of Pete. She's doing the verbal cues. She's doing the visual cues, that sort of thing. And one night during a performance, he gets interrupted by Kate Blanchett herself. Not really Kate Blanchett. She's playing Dr. Lilith Ritter. And she tries to expose the act as rigged. Now, this would be me. <laughs> I would be the one who'd be like, look, this is all bullshit, and here's why. <laughs> <laughs> this movie, okay, so first of all, this movie reinforces everything that I believe about this kind of BS. <laughs> That's what I was thinking when I was watching this was like, oh, Richard's going to eat this up. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's actually a line that Stan says before he or not Stan, Pete says before he dies. And he says, he says that it ain't hope if it's a lie. Because Stan says something along the lines of, well, we give people hope. Isn't that something? And he says, it ain't hope if it's a lie. Mm-hmm. Which is true. I don't care what anybody says. If people are preying on other people and their 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 sorrow or their sadness to make money, then that's not truth. That's a that's bullshit. It's a lie. It's fake. And they're terrible people. They're terrible people. If you are preying on people at their lowest moments, looking for some sort of closure to whatever it is. And there are people out there that go to these quote-unquote psychics who are getting preyed upon by these people. Those people are not good people. They're bad people. I believe. Anyway, so Stan seems to be able to sidestep this whole attempt to expose the act. She basically says, you know, what's in my purse? You know, prove, prove that you're really psychic. Tell me what's in my purse. And he figures it out. He says that it's small, a small pistol, nickel plated with a pearl hand, with a pearl grip, or something like that. And he's right, but he got there not through real psychic ability, but through divination, through being able to, through the process of elimination, figuring out who she is and what type of a person she is, and. She's a single person, no wedding ring, so she's going to carry a weapon. She doesn't carry this weapon because she thinks it's, you know, because she's, you know, feels safe, but because she, she thinks it looks cool. All these different things. That, he's good at reading people. He's good at reading people is really what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. He's good at reading people. Yep. I think it's very important here to note that he embarrasses Lilith right here. Yes, he does. Yeah. Well, that's going to set up the whole... It sets it up for later. Because yeah. yep. at first, you know, it kind of seems like maybe she's okay with it. But by the end, we realize she's, she's not okay with she's it. Not okay she with was this. never okay with it. Yeah. But she was really there to try and suss out whether or not he was legitimate for a person named Judge Kimball. And he wants to pay Stan to do a private consultation to help him, him, him and his wife communicate with their dead son. Molly doesn't want him to do it, but... Stan's like, yeah, we're we're gonna do it. We're gonna make some we're gonna make some serious cash here. Mm-hmm. So well, he, and this is where Molly's trying to remind him, don't do this. You were advised not to do this. Right? Yeah, you don't want to do a spook show. Right. That's where that's where that that line that that term keeps coming up. Spook show. Mm-hmm. Molly keeps saying things like that. Molly, the moral one. Molly, the one who, again, the bright spot. She represents life. She represents the good stuff. Mm-hmm. She is the one that's. Basically reminding him of what he's been told. And no amount of her cajoling or any of that is going to actually bring him back from this path. He mm-hmm. doesn't He doesn't want to come back from this path. Mm-hmm. He definitely has an dif- a, a interesting arc through this. Because, you, you know, 
he seems like he's a decent person at first sight, you know, because he seems to have sympathy at first Mm -hmm. for the geek. He offers him a cigarette, you know, he doesn't go after him right away. But then as soon as the geek hits him, he's like overly aggressive with him. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, I mean, he's not a good guy. And we see this kind of build slowly. It's not like right in your face, bad guy. No. But he is definitely not a good guy. And we just kind of, it gets darker and darker and darker as you go. I think one of the interesting things about him being kind to the geek at first is that he realizes that that is him, like two steps in the wrong direction. That's him. Right. You know? Right. So I looked up the terminology for geek. Okay. And... Synonymous with nerd. A geek is a performer at a carnival or circus whose show consists of bizarre or grotesque acts. Yeah. So through this whole show or this whole movie, he's definitely a geek. I mean, his conning people is a grotesque act as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. So I feel like he, when at the end of this when he says what he's going to say at the end it just it comes i really do think it comes full circle so it it, it's interesting yeah Yeah. okay yeah definitely so ritter the doctor wants to have a meeting with stan to exchange information and she wants him on her couch because she wants to take his brain apart basically if he tells her the truth about himself she's going to give him information that he can use on kimball to make his act a little bit more realistic. But he basically, you know, she figures out that he might have killed Pete and that his alcoholic father was neglectful. And this kind of sets up, this kind of sets up or sets in motion, again, things that are going to come back later. This idea that he doesn't touch alcohol. Mm-hmm. He won't drink it at all. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. In fact, she she points it out that it's a point a point of pride for him. It's not about oh, I'll take the drink, but I won't drink it, or I'll I'll casually just you know kind of have it in my hand. It is nope. I don't drink alcohol. Me personally, that's not for me. You know, mm-hmm. like this is a, this yeah. is a big thing. It's a show. It's a to do. It's a standoffishness because he knows again where that path leads for him with his father. And eventually, with the geek stuff, I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. So he takes this information that Ritter gives him, and he performs this big reading for for the doctor and his wife. And then he takes the money that he got from it, and he tries to split the profits with Ritter. But Ritter doesn't want any of the money. But he convinces her to keep the money with her so that he can hide it from Molly. Because Stan doesn't want Molly to find out about it right away. Stan tells Ritter that Kimball was going to introduce him to another person named Ezra Grindle, who is also a former patient of Dr. Ritter. And uh, so she gives, she, they, do the, they do the dance again. He gives her a little bit more about himself. She gives him information about Grindle's past. He forced an abortion on a young woman named Dory, basically, is the deep, dark secret that Stan's going to use. So... For some reason, I thought that was his wife. No, and it's just a it was, yeah, just I a mistress think type his person. Mistress, yeah, yeah, concubine of sorts, maybe. But uh, while this is all going on, Stan and Ritter have a begin begin a romantic relationship, and then he takes a drink. He starts to drink. She is very conniving here. She is. My gosh, she is. She, this is she is him. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, they're the same person. <laughs> well, that's the thing about noir is nobody's a good person. Yeah. I mean, even Molly has downfalls, but not everybody's going to be the same caliber of bad person. Right. Now, Stan and Ritter, I think, are the two, like, twin towers of shitty people in mm-hmm. this film. Mm-hmm. I mean, even think about this. Ezra Grindle, the... victim, quote-unquote victim of Stan's last swindle is also kind of a piece of shit. Kind of. I mean, he hurts women. He does. I mean, he outright says he 
Mm-hmm. That's not the only woman he's heard. Yep. So, I mean, everybody is kind of a POS in mm-hmm. this movie. And that's just one of those hallmarks of that noir mm-hmm. genre. So, yeah. So, with the romantic relationship going on, Stan starts to hold sessions with Grindle. And Grindle... Grindle, at first, makes him take a lie detector test to convince to be convinced that he's accurate, that he's real, that he believes what you know mm-hmm. what's going on, that sort of thing. He's very, very careful, and here's why: he wants to, he wants Stan to make Dory's spirit materialize during a séance. He wants her to come back, and he thinks. He's so arrogant that he basically is saying, I have enough money, I can buy anything. Right. Including bringing someone... Back from the dead. Well, maybe not back, back, but at least, you know, she can see her again. Yeah, Yeah, back enough. Ugh, disgusting. I know, yeah. He's kind of a... He's he's a... Yeah, he's... he's Everybody's a master manipulator in this. In, In one of them, you know, Ezra Grindle, he manipulates with money. Stan manipulates with his mind. Ritter manipulates with information. You know, I mean, everybody Everybody has their hand in and is twisting, you know, everything mm-hmm. as, as mm-hmm. much as they can. So, so while this is all going on, Stan says, you know, or well, so Stan says, okay, we're going to do this. And then he tries to, he tells Molly that he's going to pose as Dory. He's going to have her dress up in like white ethereal looking clothing, mm-hmm. put blood on her hands, and he's going to have her kind of appear far enough away that that, that Grindel won't be able to tell who she is, mm-hmm. but close enough that it'll be convincing. While this is all going on, Judge Kimball's wife kills him, His kills Judge Kimball, and then kills herself because she wants to be reunited with their son. Now, Stan said that the son was waiting for them. When he did mm-hmm. their reading, he said, oh, yeah, he's waiting for you on the other mm-hmm. side. You'll be you'll be together again. Yeah. Again, faith rewarded with violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did not see that coming, by the way. I didn't I, either. I, that was a shock moment. It really was. Yeah, Mary Steenburgen played that to a T. She did a really good job with oh, that. Oh, she did great. Yeah. 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 Stan's final deal is the seance and he he has to go so molly's leaving at this point she does not want to do this and she's gone and he goes and chases her down at the bus station and talks her into staying Mm -hmm. my god that woman needed to just get on the damn bus (laughs) and go but you know she loves him manipulation through love and you know Stan is a master manipulator. Stan manipulates people. I feel bad for her. I mean, she's a con artist too, but she's not to the extent that he is. Yes, but she also agreed to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, she she loves him, but she agreed to do it still. She agreed to basically try and rip off a rich guy because he was rich, which I mean, I guess I really don't have a problem with, but she's she's not a... a, a an untouchable either Molly the the paragon of life and the you know this the the one shining bright point in just about any scene that she's in she's still kind of a kind of a shit person too mm-hmm. you know it's interesting well that's again that's 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 noir folks <laughs> the, 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 that that's noir folks <laughs> anyway uh, I shouldn't do that because that's rude to people who stutter I apologize so when, during his final big act, Stan is trying to convince Ritter, or not Ritter, excuse me, Grindel, Dory's arrival. And he figures it out. He goes and he gets up close enough to Molly that he figures out that he doesn't know who she is. And then he starts to try and beat on her, mm-hmm. which causes Stan to literally beat the guy's face in. So towards the end here, we start getting some body gore, which I'm like, all right, there's Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> ah, found you. Found you. There he is. Yeah. There's this. There's when the bodyguard gets run over and mm-hmm. then when Stan's ear gets shot off. Those are all pretty grotesque parts right at the end here. And, yeah. you know, I mean, good effects. Yep. Pretty gross. Definitely. Definitely. So... Yeah, like you said, this, the bodyguard gets run over because the bodyguard goes after mm-hmm. Stan and Molly. 
Hits him so hard, the top of his scalp comes off. Hits him so hard, the top of his scalp comes off. They shatter the back window, and then they abandon the car. Yeah. Trying to escape. But Molly decides she's out. She takes off. She's gone. Yeah. At this point, too, one of my notes was, okay, so now he kills people. But we do find out this is not the this first time. This isn't a new one. Yeah, this is a new He's killed somebody. Thing. Yeah. So not a new game for him. Not a new game. It's all part of the game for him. Mm-hmm. So Stan decides he's going to go back to Ritter's office. He wants to get his money. But she has basically taken the money and stuffed it with dollar bills instead of like the hundreds or whatever he was expecting to be in there. Basically, you know, you put like a $100 bill on the outside and on the inside, it's all ones. So it looks like it's a roll of a hundred or hundreds, Mm -hmm. but it's actually a roll of ones with a hundred on the outside, Mm -hmm. which is again, kind of symbolic to this whole thing, right? Because you've got these people who present as psychologist or present as clairvoyant but on the inside they're they're something completely different they're lesser on the inside than they are on the outside mm-hmm. so the money mm-hmm. money rolls being like that to me said this is this is representative of these people that makes sense yeah mm-hmm. yeah I'm glad you see it that way <laughs> 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 I didn't see this coming either. Right. Um, I didn't anticipate that she was swindling him too, but right. it makes sense. <laughs> I, everybody, again, everybody's swindling everybody. Yeah. Everybody's going after everybody else. But uh, so basically he attacks her. She takes that pistol that, that he that he figured out was in her uh, her purse. And rather than just using it for to look cool she blows his ear off that's the ear part that you were talking about and that's folks that was gross i mean it is half an ear hanging off there (laughs) it is disgusting it's pretty grotesque but it's par for the course i mean that's the thing is that this character and all of these characters these these users and these abusers they end up bloodied in one Mm -hmm. way shape or form Mm -hmm. yeah that's it's it's interesting because i think do you remember you, you saw you saw Westworld season one, there was that line, these violent delights have violent ends. Mm -hmm. That's what I was thinking of Mm. at the end of this movie is that there's violence that, that, that is visited upon everyone in this movie at the end. I mean, even, even Lilith to a degree, she gets choked with that phone cord before he gets chased off by security. Mm -hmm. So yeah, but escapes, he ends up on a train. Now this part I find interesting. He gets on this train and he's hiding behind chickens. Yet another reference to the geek. Yes. Yeah. I, I I thought this was great. I watched this twice. My mm. first time around, didn't quite catch it the first time because, of course, I hadn't seen the end yet. Right. Second time, I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. He's in a <laughs> car full of chickens. Right. Right. He's hiding amongst the chickens. Yeah. He's, uh, he's riding the rails like a hobo. Mm-hmm. He sees Madame Zena ads and he's like, oh, wait. Hey, hold on. But he just kind of keeps falling into that pit of alcoholism. And And he's now, you know, in order to get some alcohol, he gave up his father's watch, which I think is his last possession of any value. Right. And Um, the last last remnant of his father, mm -hmm. too, because you see it. You see that when we get the flashback to see that, you know, that that Stan killed his dad, the way he killed him is particularly brutal and rude. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I don't know what his father did to him but still i mean to allow someone to freeze to death like that that's horrible yeah he basically opened the window in the middle of the winter pulled the blanket off of his frail old father and let him die yeah of exposure and then he burned the house down and left that was that's where we see that's where we're right back then to the beginning where we see stan for the first moment right but in as he spirals down into despair, we do he does find a little bit of hope. He finds a carnival and he goes in and he talks to the owner of the carnival. And he finds the that that clairvoyant baby that was in mm-hmm. the formaldehyde is on the desk of the of the new carnival. In um, his radio. Ringer. And the radio, yeah. The mm-hmm. radio that Stan had at mm-hmm. the beginning of the movie, yeah. And it turns out he bought that from Willem Dafoe's character when the other when the other circus shut down. And basically, Stan kind of comes to accept that he's there's no way he's going to find Cena 
or Molly or the other circus. It's all disbanded. It's all apart now. Mm-hmm. He pitches his mentalist act to the carnival owner, and the carnival owner says, "No, no, no, no. You, you look, you look you like stink. shit. You stink. You smell like piss." And it's a little old-timey, which I thought was funny because, what is this, 1942, 1943 now? It's old-timey, right? But he says, rather than that, the owner says, hey, you know what, though? Let me give you a drink, and, you know, we need a geek. We need a temporary geek until we find someone that, that 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 we can bring in permanently. And that's basically the same thing that Clem was telling. Yep. Same These other line. people, yeah. It's yep. this. Is it the exact same line? Okay. Yeah. So it's it's the same thing is uh, that that Clem was saying. Willem Dafoe's character was yeah, saying about him, the others, giving them booze that's plying them uh, with alcohol, dosed with is it opium? Yeah, or laced something with like opium. That? Yeah. Yep, laced with opium. And Stan says, "Yeah, I'll do it. I'll I'll be the geek. I was born to be the geek." And then you see his kind of final descent as he starts laughing uncontrollably. And that is, that's it. That's, that's the breaking of him. And here he is. He's, now he's the geek. Now he's the guy that he was looking at at the very beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. One thing I want to go back to is when mm-hmm. Stan first goes to Lilith's office. Yeah. She asks, she asks him what he wants, I think it is. Oh, yeah. And yep. he says, well, what everyone wants to be found out. Right. Which, again, I feel like that lends to this full circle thing that, you know, he really is kind of like these geek characters in there. I think I think that, to me, that spoke a little bit more of, like, to be seen, to be known as who you actually are instead of what's on the outside, right? Like, but the truth is... That what's on the inside of him and so many of these other characters is pretty shitty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To be found out, like Lilith found out about him, will lead people like Lilith to do stuff like what she did, you know? Like, right. It's interesting. He wants to be found out. He wants people to see who he is on the inside, but who he is on the inside is an even shittier person than he is, than he is on the outside. Right. Right. Which is just kind of fascinating to me, but... Did you notice, speaking of her office, did you notice all the, like, Rorschach blot-looking stuff on her walls? Yeah. That was interesting, right? Like, there's yeah. all these, like... Speci- well, she is a psychiatrist. She is so a psychiatrist. <laughs> yeah, but, like... I, it like, wasn't there... It was supposed to be, like, part of the decoration. Right. Yeah. Like, it was the decor. It was, yeah. like... It wasn't, like, paintings or anything mm-hmm. like that. It was just in the marble. They yeah. looked like Rorschach blots. Yep. It was. It was interesting. I thought that was neat. So... Yeah. So I know of one alternate casting. It's probably the same one that I know. Then of. why don't you tell us about that alternate casting cuz I wanted to talk about that a little bit. Okay. So the person that was originally going to play Stan was Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. And they could not come to a financial agreement is what I read and so then they brought in Bradley Cooper. Okay. I wanted to, I wanted to ask you, do you see Leonardo DiCaprio as a viable stan? No. And why not? You know, I shouldn't say that cuz he has had some characters that do get pretty dark. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, I just really liked Bradley Cooper in this role. I mean, there were times where I forgot it was Bradley Cooper. Like he like gets so into this that it almost doesn't even look like him, mm-hmm. which I know is makeup and acting and stuff, but not everybody can do that either, right. you know. Right. Leonardo DiCaprio is very talented and he probably could do it, but I don't know, it's hard looking back to see if he would be able to fill those shoes or not. I mean, what do you think? Well, my first thought was he's entirely too smarmy looking to pull this off. Okay. I think what I think what sells Stan is Stan's a pretty boy. Stan is the guy that looks like somebody that you can trust. Leonardo DiCaprio doesn't look like somebody you can trust. 
you know what I mean? Okay. So it has he has the problem that Jack Nicholson has at the beginning of The Shining. He's supposed to be he's supposed to be the sane father at the beginning of The Shining, but even just looking at him at the beginning of The Shining, you're like, oh, that guy's fucked up. There's something wrong there. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. The Shining is supposed to be about the descent. At least the King version of the story is about the descent from normal father to you know possessed psychopath. Mm-hmm. And this film is supposed to be. I I feel this film needs to be more about like. What's pretty on the outside isn't always pretty on the inside. And Leonardo DiCaprio, not a bad-looking guy, but he definitely has a like t- a, a, a touch of smarminess to him. Okay. You know what I mean? Like when he smiles, you're like, ah, something's not right with that guy. You know? But Bradley Cooper, when Bradley Cooper smiles, it's like, oh wow, Bradley Cooper's smiling, right? <laughs> and and I think that that's kind of perfect for for this movie because there is something behind that smile that you're not going to see. You're only going to experience that. And once you've experienced it, you're like, it's too late by that point. You know what I mean? Sure. So I think that that, I think that if it wasn't going to be Bradley Cooper, it needed to be somebody like him who doesn't give off this this aura of, yeah, I could probably do that. I I feel like I understand where you're coming from to Mm -hmm. a certain point, but I'd almost kind of look at it from, I think both these actors are, attractive men Mm -hmm. but i feel like bradley cooper has more of an everyday attraction to him like he's not like i don't know leonardo dicaprio kind of has this other worldly look to him i think that that (laughs) you know well he's italian i mean what do you want i don't know i don't know if i'm saying this right or not but i don't know bradley cooper just seems like he's a handsome man but he also seems like somebody that would live down the street from you right yeah yeah Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think it is that everyday good look that lends itself to the deception mm-hmm. that is this movie. I mean, everything about this movie is about deception. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, definitely. I, it, and, and again, I think that's why Leonardo DiCaprio wouldn't work. Okay. I mean, I not to say that he doesn't have the acting chops to pull it off because he absolutely does. I think it's just the look I would be suspect I would be suspicious of him right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Sure. I fell into the Bradley Cooper trap where it's like, okay, well he's obviously the good guy, right? Right. But he's not. Yeah. You know. So. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Another little bit of trivia I want to talk about here sure. is Bradley Cooper was asked by the director to train in boxing. There is not a single boxing scene in here, but he wanted him to hold himself as a boxer to kind of lend to some history that maybe the Stan character has kind of a questionable past, but we're not going to actually see this. Interesting. So he had him trained so that way he would hold himself more like a boxer just by his what he was acting and doing. Interesting, interesting, interesting. A lot of times directors will have actors do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I get that. I totally get that. It makes sense because you have to feel like this character's violence is genuine. Mm-hmm. And when it does erupt by the end of this movie, you are left kind of breathless mm-hmm. by the brutality of it. Mm-hmm. But Yeah, so I mean, I get it. I get that. That makes sense. And that's really cool. Interesting little little tidbit there. Do you have any other notes that you wanted to talk about with this? Anything specific? I think the only other thing I want to mention was this movie was nominated for four Oscars. Best Motion Picture, Costume right. Design, Production, and Cinematography. It did not win in any of them. <laughs> <laughs> it was up against Dune. I think Dune took three of those, maybe. It did win the AARP Movies for Grownups Award for Best Ensemble Cast. Okay. Movies for Grownups. <laughs> I didn't even know this existed, but it's been around since the 19... or since the 1920s. Since the tw- it's been around for 20 years. Basically, the film categories are Best Movie for Grownups, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Documentary, blah, blah, blah. But check out... The best movie for grown up, best movies for grown ups winners. About Schmidt, 2003. Mystic River, 2004. Ray, 2005. Capote, 2006. The Last King of Scotland, 2007. The Savages, Frost Nixon, Invictus, The King's Speech, The Descendants. These are definitely not. But then as I scrolled down and I got to, I got to 2018, and guess what? The movie for grown ups best picture was. In 2018. 2018. 
I have no idea. It was Star Wars The Last Jedi. It's <laughs> literally the only like space fantasy movie that's on here. Everything else is like Belfast, U.S. versus Billy Holiday, The Irishman, stuff like that. But I just thought it was interesting and kind of quaint and kind of silly that uh, that we've got Movies for Grown Ups awards. All right. Which implies that other movies are not for grown-ups. <laughs> which I take great umbrage at. For example, Marvel movies. Not for grown-ups, you filthy bastards. Anyway, <laughs> so <laughs> so is that, is that all you got there? Is that all your notes? That is all my notes. Okay, I'm tapped out as well. Why don't we do our thing? We do keep, rent, or erase with this one, Jennifer and why. I don't know if I still have an answer here. I'm not sure I have an answer yet here. I've been going back and forth between rent and keep. Interesting. Okay. I like the way this movie looks. It mm-hmm. looks neat. I like the symbolism in it and the fact that I actually picked up on some of it. <laughs> of course, it's pretty in your face. So well, I, I would hope I would pick up on some of this. It's for grownups. This movie's for grownups. <laughs> they don't have time to be dissecting movies. I... I love Bradley Cooper in here. I love Kate Blanchett in here. They do a great job. I think the story's interesting. I felt like it was a little long. And then that part is kind of where I'm at where, am I going to pull this out and watch this on a regular basis? Or would this be more one that I would maybe watch on occasion? So that's why I'm at. I like the movie. I definitely like the movie. Okay. Just how much do I like it? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really the question here, Jen. I know. That's Quit navel-gazing and make an answer here. Come on. That's why I'm kind of back and forth. So I'm just going to go. You know what? Flip a coin. If I could maybe get the at-home version and has the special features, I would love to hear more what the director has to say about some of this stuff. So maybe I'll go with keep just so I can hear more about where he was coming from and his idea with the symbolism and stuff like that. But I'll go with that. Interesting. Okay. How about you? Uh, this one's a keep for me. Oh, I didn't, okay. I didn't think it was going to be a keep for me right off the bat, but this movie has sat with me since we watched it, and its pull, its draw for me, is the idea that Everything is kind of a downward spiral for this character, for this Stan. And despite any protestation that he's got, he does eventually become his father. He does eventually become an alcoholic. And then he does eventually become, you know, he's a geek for another circus by the end of this. I mean, he is, he gets his comeuppance, mm-hmm. I think. And I think. You know, I hate this term, but I'm going to use it tour de force as far as acting goes for Bradley Cooper. Like you were mentioning earlier, you know, he kind of get lost in his performance. He has a really good work ethic, I think. In, in a lot of his movies, you can kind of get lost in those characters. I'm thinking of like Silver Linings Playbook where you don't really think about him as Bradley Cooper in mm-hmm. that movie. You think about him as a, as a patient, as a patient with mental illness mm-hmm. and... It's just, it's interesting to me that a person like Bradley Cooper wrapped in this, like, you know, beautiful person package, you wouldn't think that he would have enough to pull on for all this stuff, but everybody has something. You know, everybody has things in their past, everybody has things in their lives that they can draw on to create these characters, and he does a hell of a job in this. I would definitely watch this again. I would want to see, I want to watch to you know notice like the the little bits and pieces as to as how this character devolves from you know Mr. Charming to hobo who smells like piss mm-hmm. you know it's an interesting it's an interesting devolution or devolution devolution whatever so yeah so this is definitely a keep for me okay yeah all right yeah so, what are we doing next? Where are we going to... Who's coming to the couch next, Jen? All right. Next week, we're going to talk about Don't Worry, Darling. Don't worry about what? Don't worry. So, this movie makes me think of The Stepford Wives. 
and I don't know exactly why. I've heard things like Chris Pine's character is based on Jordan Peterson, kind of a smarmy, talking head type person. And it intrigues me. I'm, I'm interested. I want to see this movie. I'm excited to see this movie. But I also hear some pretty toxic shit about what's going on or what went on on the set of this movie as well. So. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't read all of it. I try to not read all of that stuff. I guess that I don't like getting into a lot of that. But yeah, uh, yeah, it sounds like there was a lot of lot of crap going on behind yeah. the scenes here, and even yeah. after after yeah. and on the red carpet, which is right, which is too bad. I mean, you know, a lot of people put a lot of work into this and a lot of effort into this, and I feel like that's going to be taking away from some of what people did, you know? So I didn't pay much attention to it. So I don't think it'll taint my viewing of it too much. So mm. I, I think I'll be okay going into it. Yeah. I'm hoping that I won't have a problem with it. I mean, it's just like, you know, the, the thing that bothers me about this is that you've got these issues with this toxicity on set and it does not bode well for it's, it's a female director director. It's Olivia Wilde. Right. Mm -hmm. And you would want something like this to be kind of divorced from the kind of Hollywood shit show that sometimes do these things devolve into. Mm -hmm. And, and it seems like this isn't immune from that, which is kind of sad because I think they'll think, I think a lot of shitty people will focus on that rather than on the film. Sure. And specifically because Olivia Wilde is a woman. Yeah. So yep. that's my concern. I know. And whereas whereas with like say Brian Singer, people won't people won't focus on that. Because Brian Singer's a man. He has a wiener, so it's okay. <laughs> but anyway, that's I, I that's my that's saying, my yeah. political humor there. Yep. So yep. all right, so next week, right here on the couch, don't worry, darling. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. You've been listening to A View from the Couch, a Space Moose Media podcast. You can interact with our hosts on Twitter by going to twitter.com forward slash view underscore couch. You can also email us at aviewfromthecouch at yahoo.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please help us get noticed by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Thanks for listening.